What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Vault. Alongside myself, I got my man here, Mr. Walter Morgan. What's going on, Walt? Oh, you know, the spider's nasty today. Why is he nasty today? Hungry, ain't fed the fucker in a while. I don't know. It is getting hot in California. Anyway, so, uh, but before we get into this, we want all you guys to watch the show on TV because it looks so much better. Everybody has smart TVs. Watch it on your YouTube channel on your TV. Yeah, besides, it looks better and it sounds better that way. Yeah. That's the way I do it. That's the way I do it, too. Oh, and by the way, if you want to send someone a message from me, go to cameo.com. Death Wish Coffee. Get it at your grocery shelves. It's zippy in the morning. It'll get you zippy. That's why we drink it. And if you haven't got your uh, Zetros Toxic Vault t-shirt and our new patches, go to greyhavenmedia.net. Well, today we are going to talk about, and you guys have been hounding me for this, talk about the recording and the making of the records, and we're going to start with my first album. We're going to start with Pleasures of the Flesh. 1987, right? Well, Long time ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, really. Was it really? It doesn't seem like that. No, it doesn't. It you really. had more hair back then because we already saw pictures. And your hair on wasn't gray. So it wasn't, but it is. But I still yeah. have it. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, the bottom yeah, no. line. So, uh, this was the time around. I, I joined in uh, June of '86, Excess in June of '86, and um, they had signed to a record label called Torrid, and uh, who actually put out Bonded by Blood. But um, back then, there was a lot of independent labels, upstarts, uh, and they were signing bands out of nowhere, offering tons of money, which they, and they really didn't know what they were doing at the time. And unfortunately, Exodus signed with one of those later those labels. And uh, I love Todd and Ken, Todd Gordon and Ken. I see Todd now when we're in tour in Europe, or I mean New York. He comes and sees us, and, and we're all cool. And everything was always cool back then. But um, it was a position where... Exodus was ready to put out another record, but Torrid wasn't ready to put out another record. And when you're contractually bound to something at that time, especially music, you just can't move on. You had like a two-record deal with them? I I think it was two or three. I'm not quite sure because I didn't sign it. It was signed before, you know, I was in the band, you know, when Bailoff was in the band. And so um, the trick was is trying to get off of the label at that time. And so they were kind of fielding um, offers from other labels that were, you know, interested in maybe buying us off. And that's back when they counted record sales, right? Well, that was, you know, by the clicker. I think they did it. They had somebody actually counting them. And and this is a, a time also... You know, when um, major labels are doing development deals with bands. So uh, thrash metal was coming up, but not all that prominent yet. You know, Metallica had just done, uh, 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 you know, Ride the Lightning had just come out. Bonded by Blood had just come out. Slayer had Hella Waits come out, which from Show No Mercy. So it was starting. People were hearing it. It wasn't making a lot of noise yet. So major labels at that time were, were doing this thing. Well, we'll do a development deal with you. And they'll bring you in and... Um, They'll listen to your songs, and if they think you're worthy, they'll put it out. And we were like, you know, fuck that. We've already proven. We have, we sell out everywhere we go, you know what I mean? Or the band did, even before I was in the band. Exodus sold out. They had, they had, their, status they had their own thing going on, their own sound, so that wasn't for us. And we finally ran into Combat, who really, really wanted the band, and they were willing to go to Todd and Ken and say, hey, you know, we'll purchase Exodus from you. And I, I'm not quite sure what the, what, what the money 
was to get Exodus off that label and to on to combat. And I remember um, signing with combat that night. We all went out to, they flew out to there from New York to Berkeley. We signed the deals. They came out to, uh, we went to Maxwell's Plum Restaurant, us, which is a really posh restaurant in San Francisco at that time. And we looked how we looked, leather jackets. I remember we went out with Elliot Kahn, who was our lawyer at that time, who has Green Day manager. Testament. I mean, down the down the history. Many uh, a lot of bands. Yeah, he was there when I hired Alex. Uh, that's a total another story. I think you guys bought him a house. I probably. Anyway, we went to this. I remember I had lobster, and we were throwing the lobster on the table, and our management was encouraging this behavior because that's kind of how it was. So we signed a combat, and um, we're going to do a record with them. And, um, you know, it's kind of time has gone through. It's been a, been a while to work this out. So we got into the studio around the spring of 87 because I remember um, the, the A's were playing that I think I went from a game to the studio. That's the only reason I can remember that. And we started the album with a guy named Mark Whitaker, who actually um, uh, did uh, some Metallica stuff. He did Bonded by Blood. And uh, he started doing the drum tracks, and something happened with the drums and him, and I'm not a drummer, so I wasn't in on this. And um, he, but he was, did complete the tracks. He did complete the drum tracks, and he was removed from that. And then it was um, Mark Senesak and Sylvia. Wasn't he the assistant? Yeah, engineer he was the assistant engineer, and we were like, "Hey, well, we'll produce it with you." And this was in San Francisco, at Alpha and Omega Studios, which is in like the Tenderloin, in a very bad area, owned by Sandy Perlman, who had produced all the great. Um, uh, Blue Oyster Cult stuff. This was his studio that he owned, and. Uh, it was like, you know, my first time in the studio. What a great, you know, atmosphere to walk in. Just over, overwhelmed. The big boards and Yeah, the the, exactly. And so Mark took over the rest of the record, uh, Mark Senesak, along with Gary Rick and all, kind of all of us. We kind of produced it. Although I didn't produce. I really didn't know what I was doing. I just, when I was time to do my vocals, I kind of went in there and uh, did what I knew. And it was in, like you said, in a very seedy, seedy part of San Francisco. But once you walk through those doors, Oh yeah. It was a beautiful, it was a palace once you got through the doors. So, but there was always like, you know, the drug dealers outside and the drug addicts and the, and that kind of plays into the story a bit, right? That kind of thing. Well, a little bit. Yeah. Kind of. So we start, um, we start recording the record in, um, in the spring of 87 and, um, and uh, the after album, almost two and a half years. Well, well, yeah, because the well, the record didn't get released until right September of '87. So from the release of "Bonded by Blood," which was May of '85, it would have almost been two. And so and you had it in the can years. a little bit too, right? A little, so. I think it was in the can for like the whole summer because it kept getting pushed back. And at that time, we're looking at it like it's a lot of time taking forever and forever to get this record out. And so. Um, um, but the recording process happened. We, we, we were in the studio in San Francisco. And back in those days, you pretty much recorded 24 hours a day. If somebody was because in the it's studio. so expensive. Well, right? yeah. If somebody was in the studio, somebody was else was sleeping and then move in to do their parts. And so, as you guys all heard, the album opens up with a guy we, we called him Tom Skid. You know, life's kind of getting out of control. And basically, where that came from was um, the song, the first opening song on the album is called Deranged. And uh, what we wanted to do was get a deranged kind of character to, you know, come in. And they were listening to uh, samples and other things like, but that wasn't big at that time like it is now. So what a better idea than to walk out on the street and actually get 
one of these guys. I don't even know if his name was Tom, but they called him Tom Skid. And what that is, is it's uh, probably a two and a half hour edits of a two and a half hour conversation with the guy so i wasn't brought there. him in the studio well they but yeah i wasn't there they gary and rick did this with mark senesak and they brought him because it was done like at two in the morning late at night we were night owls in those days we ran 24 7 and 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 uh i bet yeah we sure did and uh and we had help and uh it was uh one of those things where you know i got there the next day and they were like oh zetro Wait till you hear this. Or what happened? Well, we brought this guy in. We brought him some food and some wine, and we just kind of had a conversation. So it's not a straight conversation. The guys were trying to make him sound deranged, but they, they edit it together really well, so it does. And and basically, he sat out in the, 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 the studio area, and they were behind the booth, and they had a call back, and they were talking to him on the headphone, so you can only hear his, his answer back. And, he, and that was how that was... Edited in there. We never saw him again. He never, he never. He doesn't in. even know his own fame. No, I, I guess he does. He's probably, you know, he's got to be dead now. If he, unless he happened to clean him up like the guy in bum fights did. I don't know, but he didn't look like that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I never got to see him. And so, and so um, that's how Deranged came out. And again, Deranged was an, a, um, the opening song on, on, on the first side because back, back then there was sides to records first and second side and that's and, a fast one right and that's the fast one obviously it's gary and rick riffing up going up one end of the fretboard to the other and and kind of fast way to kick off an excess record and then the second song is um till death do us part and that was the first one that i wrote actually lyrically for um exodus and that was pretty much about um uh, back then there was the stickering of the records and there was all this stuff on you know heavy metals getting a bad rap for being satanists and the whole pmrc thing so what we did was explicit we lyrics pretty much wrote a song exactly you're right if you said fuck on your album you know it got stickered which to them was a double-edged sword because to me if you tell a kid that stickered it's gonna say fuck on this album they're gonna fucking. They're not go, gonna buy the clean. Version. Exactly, they're gonna buy it. So, which kind of worked against them, you know what I mean? But um, um, the the there's a line in the song that says, uh, "We'll write the songs the way we want, spell it out the way it is. Our music is not a front. It's all about the way we live, you know." And it's kind of like kick, fuck you. We'll we'll write what we want. We'll play this type of metal. We'll say what we want. Stick our albums, you know. Kind of kind of go fuck yourself. Oh, what you I know? love about that uh, song. Is Tom's intro with the drums lot, very yeah. epic? Very, you know, his style. It just speaks on that intro, and, and it goes into the. And you know, song. a lot of bands don't open with uh, drums in their songs, but we do because I think. Uh, I mean, even you on this record, I think seeds, seed, seeds of Hate. Uh, he'll love for you to say that. Seeds of Hate also opens up with the drums, but uh, that was the first two songs. The first one I wrote, I wrote lyrically. Um, Third song on the record is one we just brought back in a set recently. It's one of my favorites to play. It was Gary's kind of um, um, part two of Piranha for this record. And this one's a Parasite. Really fast uh, triplet uh, uh, guitar chugging in it. You uh, haven't played great. that song in forever. I mean, re- we just brought it back on the last tour. Yeah, on the last tour. Oh, I it was know. A long time. It took a while to get it back in the set because you know that one's a that one that that one's painful. That's a browbeater. It's it's it, it hurts them. 
definitely to play them <laughs> dude it does man that one's that that one for those for me it's easy but for those guys man that picking you know it just goes that way through the whole fucking song the lead section the the dual lead together rick and gary at their finest on that song i think uh, it really goes to show um or exemplify what the h team has to offer you know and and the for second sure. record out second record out and then um the next song is one of our favorites, right? Right. It's uh, Brain Dead. One of your favorites, too, Oh, Bob. it is. And I remember way back in the day when you started the Pleasures touring for the first time. And for a long time, it was the closer of the encore, right? You always played it like we last. We did. We played it at the end. You know, at that time, we only had Bonded by Blood and Pleasures of Flesh. So, you know, now we end with Strike of the Beast and we do the whole thing. And that's the way the crescendo of the ending. But this one was um this one was um um uh the one we ended with and it kind of got everybody in a much this is one that also was off of a demo that uh they had put out be in between bonded by blood and this with bailoff just to try to get some different uh, label interest and it had this and two other songs on this album this was uh i did not write this uh this is typical paul bailoff right here like uh yeah i have a, a very rare cd that combat put out with the demo and some live songs and uh, with Paul singing these songs. Very rare. I think it goes for like 250 bucks on eBay. Yeah, but you could probably just go to YouTube and, um, you know. That's true. Craig and, and, and didn't get that, that. And get that. It was a real release, but it is, and it's very rare. But, but anyway. It is Bailoff at his best. The, the, the last thing he did with Exodus, actually, if you can find it. All right. And then uh, we go into another song that's kind of an obscure track. That closes faster outside Faster Than one. You'll Ever Live To Be. And Faster Than You Ever Live To Be was another one that I wrote lyrically, and I actually uh, was like, well, what is this song? They have the title. That's typical Exodus. Gary will give me the title, and uh, he'll say, you know, uh, you know, he'll tell me, oh, well, we'll just write it about this. This was like the first one of that. And um, they were on tour in Europe with Venom and Slayer. And the only movie that they had on their tour bus was High Plains Drifter. And there's a part in the movie where Clint says uh, some part about a guy asks him if you're fast. And he, he says, faster than you ever lived to be. So basically, if you, I watched the movie and then I kind of wrote the movie you know, around around that. But um, what a I'm great a, title! Great song too. Yeah, really fast. Good, good lead section. A good little kind of middle breakdown before it tears off in the lead section. Really good one. And then that's the end of side one. Really good one. And then that's the end of side one. And then um, and back in those days, you didn't have CDs or it wasn't digital. It just didn't keep playing. If you had a cassette or an album, you had to turn it over. Flip it. And the first thing you hear now is. Um, jungle sounds and we're going to go into the title track which is pleasures of the flesh and um this was a song which was like another one that was on that demo that i did not write that paul wrote along with them uh with the band and um this one also has an intro of like uh you can hear rick and us we're in there going do that and then um, and the birds and the birds in the and back and we things. actually had a uh, uh, Tom's roommate Ian had this dog named Tara and he was a Rottweiler and we brought her in and we lowered down the mic so if when you hear it you'll hear rawr, rawr, we just grab her jowls and she would tear that up and um, then there's obviously the song kicks in one of my favorites to play it seems like all of the ones that I didn't write are my favorites to play and, and generally uh, the second uh, side of an Exodus album has that real epic long song then you're known for 
And a lot, then right? this one was no, uh, no different uh, on that. Um, again, one of my favorites to play. Uh, most people think that pleasures of the flesh. It's all about you know, like some chicks or something. But in Exodus fashion, I think it's, it's both. It's about cannibalism. Not coming from us though. This song was completely about cannibalism and eating human flesh alive. And, and here's the band cover that we got showing right here. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was the band cover. We'll get. We'll get to that when we get done, because we're going to talk about the cover after we get okay. done with this. The next song was um, something that Gary and Rick had uh, cooked up. It's this little um, musical uh, guitar kind of thing. They um, they called it ragical at first because it was called it was this ragtime classical thing they did on guitar on the guitar. But when the record came out, they changed it to thirty seconds, and I guess because it's only thirty seconds long, but just kind of like um, I guess showing them the the musical talent of both of those guys showing the guitar work that they can do they wanted to do something like that the album prior to that no love had such a great uh, acoustical intro to it i think that was great something something like that and then the next record that um the next song that came after that was um is uh seeds, seeds of, of hate. hate and uh seeds of hate was another one um was the last one of the three songs that paul had demoed with the band prior to this and uh it has I, uh, an intro to it too, doesn't it? No, no, yeah. just uh, just uh, just has Tom coming in. Then right, it ends right after after, uh, after the intro. I think you're thinking of is the is is the thirty seconds. Oh, okay, that's, that's what you're thinking. And then the drums come in. Uh, I did write a piece to this song. I felt that the end of the song when it, when the part kicks in, innocent victims cry out in pain. I wrote that whole part. I felt it was empty there, and they were like, "Yeah, if you can come up with something, go ahead." and um write something there and so uh i did and um again another fun one to play and then we saw on the next metallica record in the song harvester of sorrow james says one line planting the seeds of hate and then i I was like "Mm, somebody's (laughs) listening to somebody's other else's records i I see what kind of took that as um as as a, a compliment and then um this next song was another one that um, I, I, I wrote, uh, was um, had to do with environmentalists and, and, uh, and politicians that take kickbacks for the dumping of toxic waste. It was a big deal in the 80s, you know, uh, uh, and, uh, and still I, think is. It, I think it still is, but it was more so because people really didn't have an idea of what vi- environmental and they didn't give a shit any at that point in time all so, over um, the world very moody care. song not your typical uh, 100 miles an hour in your face exodus but great guitar work on it it has uh, that one of my intro favorites yeah both going yes. back and forth from gary to rick yeah. and i've talked to rick recently and i said hey man wouldn't it be great to play this song again and he said it's one of his favorite songs to play. it is it is and i love to play chemical we haven't had it in the um in the set oh, in the last back. few years and but you know we'd love to bring it back one of my favorites you know uh, always has been it just had a really moody kind of singing to it and kind of a really good story about it so and always. it's not like super fast it's uh, like you said it it moves you you know, yeah, yeah, no, it has a good groove. A good groove, you're right. And then it gets heavy. And then it gets every all of Exodus gets heavy. And then the the album closes out with an album with a song that we actually wrote in the studio called Choose Your Weapon. Um, um, actually, I didn't write any of it. Gary wrote the song and wrote the lyrics. I just had to learn it. But a perfect way to end 
Yeah, uh, that's a very obscure track. Did you ever play that song live? We did back that, in the day yeah. in that time. The first time, but I haven't played that in a lot. I'd love to do a whole B-side And how many years has it been? Like 30-something? Well, what? We're in we're 32 at least for this album. Anyway, 32. Mm-hmm. So, And then we knew that the, well, the record was done, and we sent it to L.A. and had Bernie Grunman. He was the master at it. And, um, and then um, we were all talking about, and we had the album cover, and like Walt was talking about, this is the band album cover. Cannibalism themed. Cannibalism themed um, uh, album cover. And they told us that um, retail stores will not pick up this album because this, al- this cartoon fucking album cover is way too graphic. And we were like, okay, well, we got a fucking record in the can. What do we do? So they came up with the idea of um, it's called uh, you know, the album's called Pleasures of the Flesh, and we'll be all owners of the Cannibal Bar and Grill, and that's what you see there. So when you turn the album on the other side, uh, Walt's good buddy, Mr. Mike Kanzler, and our old stage manager. I grew up with Mike, yeah, from and high he school. Got, he, he was the guy that you see on the back. Some people said, is that you, Zetro? It wasn't me, even though my hair he was He looks poopy. like a cannibal. My hair was, he did look like a cannibal at that time. So what we did is uh, back in those days, it was against the law. It was a felony to actually own human bones. You had to have a, a license to do it. So we hired a guy out of San Francisco called uh, Sticks and Stones, Skin and Bones. You guys love spending money back then. <laughs> we love we, we, we love spending money. I love spending money now. Anyway, uh, we so we had this guy come in and bring actual. So those heads that you see in front of us are actual We're human just skulls. At the bar. Yeah, and we had names for them. I can't even remember. Look on the album. We made names for every one of them. And um, and uh, uh, that was like, I think it was like Uncle Kajui and Uncle Kretchy. And like they were all in front of us. But that's what we had to do on a whim because nobody would. Uh, they would, they said, oh, well, you know, Target won't take this. And all the, and so whatever. you had to shoot that album. So we shot picture. it and we did it at the Punchline in San Francisco, which is a comedy club. And because we were managed by Bill Graham at the time, um, we could get away with doing, you know, um, shit like that. He'd like, like when we did the Toxic Waltz video, we did it at the Fillmore. Why? Because Bill ran the Fillmore and said it was okay for us to do. So we got a, kind of a lot of privileges from that and who and shot the photo for that yoni mayeri her husband was uh david mayeri who ran the warfield at that time another bill graham uh i mean she was a great photographer i don't know how much what other stuff she did but she uh she shot that and shot cancer we did it in a day we went out there like at one o'clock by four o'clock the shoot was done real quick but we knew that this would be a collector's please piece because we wouldn't Never get rid of the only part I don't like is my fucking nose is hella fat in this one. I don't have a fat nose, and I just didn't think that. Kent Matthew, who did uh, this photo, and he did the two Forbidden album covers as well, was an artist in Berkeley. And that then, would be a good poster nowadays. And then so we sat on it for a while, and then it came out in September of '87, uh, and uh, you were on that. Boy, were you on that tour, weren't you? Destroy, boy, boy destroy tour. Yeah, Walter, I mean, did you just park the fucking car, budget car there and leave it there because you fucked that thing up so bad? Yeah, I did, but uh, the person that took over didn't know better. Well, regardless of who took over, irregardless or irregardless who took over, it was great. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That I think we... I think we actually bought that truck on that tour because all right, but also because of, you guys, of what happened and Fuck me getting sent home up. from the other side from the East Coast. 
uh, you realized that, hey, the videos I was shooting are very good. And you called me from the road and said, hey, pack your bags. We're picking you back up because nobody can do videos like you. So, so we have, and we'll talk about some of those videos. I know if you guys have uh, watched on Exodus's YouTube channel, you see the Astoria video. That just came out, right. He shot that whole thing. Yeah, even the fuzzy part where he's walking through the fucking crowd and it's going, can't make it out. It's Walter. That's right. right That's there. when it was very raw. That's the way you wanted it. So, and we went out with Celtic Frost and, and Anthrax. Right. And and it was um, it was mayhem from from getting that was a great 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 tour, to, yeah because we were young and fucking and anthrax on fire. had among the living out right 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 i don't remember what celtic frost was touring on i don't think it was into the megatherion i don't think it was that i'm not quite sure and then um we after that we we went home for christmas and we came back and went out and did the states in canada with mod right which was another fun because billy milano was a blast and when was the the european like that, that was in 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 april after, june yeah it was yeah. in june okay so I that year that so too. and then and now we're in 88 and then in june we went to europe for what eight or nine shows and that's the infamous dynamo festival and the infamous birmingham a lot show. of big shows there you know Astoria, yeah well the birmingham London show and- well the birmingham shows the one that's the right the famous show that, that we've we already told that on. story yeah story on so Oh, that was a very successful tour and album for you guys, though. And so that kind of, as it wound up, we came back and then we went right back in the studio the summer of, of 88 to write Fabulous Disaster, write and record Fabulous Disaster. And then, because Fabulous came out in January of 89. So at that point, there had been two and a half out years since the last record. But here, there was only really about a year and five months between the two records and coming out. And we Fabulous Disaster. Disasters. Um, we will down too, the right? road get right. down so any of you guys leave me some comments and let me know what if you saw us on tour you know obviously uh subscribe to our channel what do you got you got nothing to say, say on that wall i'd like Anything to hear the them? comments because i read them all so he likes to know. hear the comments especially when he reads his own comments that's but what i love sometimes that's i do my that. favorite time when you read your own comments but uh, subscribe to my channel and uh we'll see you guys next time in the vault Thank you.